Chapter forty two of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter forty two. Cap rests on her laurels and spoils for a fight. Tis hardly in a body's power to keep at times from being sour, to see how things are shared, how best of childs are wiles and want, while coofs on countless thousands rant, and kenna how to wear it. Burns. Leaving Clara Day and Mara Rock, in a home of safety, plenty, and kindness, in the old doctor's house, we must run down to Hurricane Hall to see what mischief Cap has been getting into since we left her. In truth, none. Cap had had such a surfeit of adventures that she was fain to lie by and rest upon her laurels. Besides, there seemed just now nothing to do, no tyrants to take down, no robbers to capture, no distressed damsels to deliver, and Cap was again in danger of spoiling for a fight. And then Herbert Grayson was at the hall. Herbert Grayson, whom she vowed always did make a Miss Nancy of her. And so Cap had to content herself for a week with quiet mornings of needlework at her workstand, with Herbert to read to or talk with her, sober afternoon rides, attended by Herbert and old Hurricane, and humdrum evenings at the chessboard, with the same Herbert, while Major Warfield dozed in a great sleepy hollow of an armchair. One afternoon, when they were out riding through the woods beyond the Demon's Run, a sheriff's officer rode up, and bowing to the party, presented a suspicious-looking document to Capitola, and a similar one to Herbert Grayson. And while old Hurricane stared his eyes half out, the parties most interested opened the papers, which they found to be rather pressing invitations to be present at a certain solemnity at Staunton. In a word, they were subpoenaed to give testimony in the case of Williams v. Lenore. "'Here's a diabolical dilemma,' said old Hurricane to himself, as soon as he learned the purport of these documents. "'Here I shall have to bring Cap into court face to face with that demon to bear witness against him. Suppose losing one ward, he should lay claim to another. Ah, but he can't, without foully criminating himself. Well, well, we shall see.' While old Hurricane was cogitating, Cap was exulting. "'Oh, won't I tell all I know? Yes, and more, too,' she exclaimed in triumph. "'More, too? Oh, hoity-toity, never say more, too,' said Herbert, laughing. "'I will, for I'll tell all I suspect,' said Cap, galloping on ahead, in her eagerness to get home and pack up for her journey. The next day Old Hurricane, Herbert Grayson, Capitola, Pitapat, and Wool, went by stage to Staunton. They put up at the Planters and Farmers Hotel, whence Herbert Grayson and Capitola soon sallied forth to see Clara and Mrs. Rock. They soon found the doctor's house, and were ushered into the parlour in the presence of their friends. The meeting between Capitola and Clara, and between Mrs. Rock and Herbert, was very cordial. And then Herbert introduced Capitola to Mrs. Rock, and Cap presented Herbert to Clara. And they all entered into conversation upon the subject of the coming lawsuit, and the circumstances that led to it, and Clara and Capitola related to each other all that had happened to each after their exchanging clothes and parting. And when they had laughed over their mutual adventures and misadventures, Herbert and Capitola took leave and returned to the hotel. Herbert Grayson was the most serious of the whole family. Upon reaching the hotel, he went to his own room, and fell into deep reflection. And this was the course of his thought. Ira Warfield and Mara Rock are here in the same town, brought hither upon the same errand, to-morrow to meet in the same courtroom, and yet not either of them suspects the presence of the other. Mrs. Rock does not know that in Capitola's uncle she will behold Major Warfield. He does not foresee that in Clara's matronly friend he will behold Mara Rock. And Lenore, the cause of all their misery, will be present also. 
What will be the effect of this unexpected meeting? Ought I not to warn one or the other? Let me think. No, for were I to warn Major Warfield, he would absent himself. Should I drop a hint to Mara, she would shrink from the meeting. No, I will leave it all to Providence. Perhaps the sight of her sweet, pale face and soft, appealing eyes, so full of constancy and truth, may touch that stern old heart. Heaven grant it may, concluded Herbert Grayson. The next day the suit came on. At an early hour Dr. Williams appeared, having in charge Clara Day, who was attended by her friend Mrs. Rock. They were accommodated with seats immediately in front of the judge. Very soon afterward, Major Warfield, Herbert Grayson, and Capitola entered, and took their places on the witnesses' bench, at the right side of the courtroom. Herbert watched Old Hurricane, whose eyes were spellbound to the bench where sat Mrs. Rock and Clara. Both were dressed in deep mourning, with their veils down and their faces toward the judge. But Herbert dreaded every instant that Mara Rock should turn her head and meet that fixed, wistful look of Old Hurricane and he wondered what strange instinct it could be that riveted the old man's regards to the unrecognized woman. At last, to Herbert's great uneasiness, Major Warfield turned and commenced questioning him. "'Who is that woman in mourning?' Hm, hm, that one with the flaxen curls under her bonnet is Miss Day.' "'I don't mean the girl. I mean the woman sitting by her.' "'That is, hem, hem, that is Dr. Williams sitting—' Old Hurricane turned abruptly around, and favored his nephew with a severe, scrutinizing gaze, demanding, "'Herbert, have you been drinking so early in the morning? Demi, sir, this is not the season for mint juleps before breakfast. Is that great, stout, round-bodied, red-faced old Dr. Williams a little woman? I see him sitting on the right of Miss Day. I didn't refer to him. I referred to that still, quiet little woman sitting on her left, who has never stirred hand or foot since she sat down there. Who is she?' "'That woman? Oh, she? Yes, uh, let me see. She is, uh, Miss Day's companion,' faltered Herbert. "'To the demon with you! Who does not see that? But who is she? What is her name?' abruptly demanded Old Hurricane. "'Her name is, uh, uh, did you ever see her before, sir?' "'I don't know. That is what I am trying to remember. But, sir, will you answer my question?' "'You seem very much interested in her.' "'You seem very much determined not to let me know who she is. Hang it, sir!' "'Will you, or will you not, tell me that woman's name?' "'Certainly,' said Herbert. "'Her name is—' "'He was about to say Mara Rock, "'but moral indignation overpowered him, and he paused. "'Well, well, her name is what?' "'Impatiently demanded Old Hurricane. "'Mrs. Warfield,' answered Herbert doggedly. "'And just at that unfortunate moment, "'Mara turned her pale face and beseeching eyes "'around and met the full gaze of her husband.' In an instant her face blanched to marble, and her head sank upon the railing before her bench. Old Hurricane was too dark to grow pale, but his bronzed cheek turned as gray as his hair, which fairly lifted itself on his head. Grasping his walking-stick with both his hands, he tottered to his feet, and muttering, "'I'll murder you for this, Herbert,' he strode out of the courtroom. Mara's head rested for about a minute on the railing before her, and when she lifted it again, her face was as calm and patient as before." This little incident had passed without attracting attention from any one except Capitola, who, sitting on the other side of Herbert Grayson, had heard the little passage of words between him and her uncle, and had seen the latter start up and go out, and who now, turning to her companion, inquired, "'What is the meaning of all this, Herbert?' "'It means Satan, and now attend to what is going on. Mr. Souter has stated the case, and now Stringfellow, the attorney for the other side, is just telling the judge that he stands there in the place of his client, Lieutenant Colonel Lenore. 
who, being ordered to join General Taylor in Mexico, is upon the eve of setting out, and cannot be here in person. And is that true? Won't he be here? It seems not. I think he is ashamed to appear after what has happened, and just takes advantage of a fair excuse to absent himself. And is he really going to Mexico? Oh, yes. I saw officially announced in this morning's papers. And, by the by, I am very much afraid he is to take command of our regiment, and be my superior officer. Oh, Herbert, I hope and pray not. I think there is wickedness enough packed up in that man's body to sink a squadron, or lose an army. Well, Cap, such things will happen. Attention, there's Souter, ready to call his witnesses. And, in truth, the next moment Capitola Black was called to the stand. Cap took her place and gave her evidence, con amore, and with such vim and such expressions of indignation, that Stringfellow reminded her that she was there to give testimony, and not to plead the cause. Cap rejoined that she was perfectly willing to do both, and so she continued not only to tell the acts, but to express her opinions as to the motives of Lenore, and give her judgment as to what should be the decision of the court. Stringfellow, the attorney for Colonel Lenore, evidently thought that in this rash, reckless, spirited witness he had a fine subject for sarcastic cross-examination. But he reckoned without his host. He did not know Cap. He, too, caught a tartar. And before the cross-examination was concluded, Cap's apt and cutting replies had overwhelmed him with ridicule and confusion, and done more for the cause of her friend than all her partisans put together. Other witnesses were called to corroborate the testimony of Capitola, and still others were examined to prove the last expressed wishes of the late William Day, in regard to the disposal of his daughter's person during the period of her minority. There was no effect of rebutting evidence, and after some hard arguing by the attorneys on both sides, the case was closed, and the judge deferred his decision until the third day thereafter. The parties then left the court, and returned to their several lodgings. Old Hurricane gave no one a civil word that day. Wool was an atrocious villain, an incendiary scoundrel, a cutthroat, and a black demon. Cap was a beggar, a vagabond, and a vixen. Herbert Grayson was another beggar, besides being a knave, a fop, and an impudent puppy. The innkeeper was a swindler, the waiters thieves, the whole world was going to ruin, where it well deserved to go, and all mankind to the demon, as he hoped and trusted they would. And all this tornado of passion and invective arose, just because he had unexpectedly met in the courtroom the patient face and beseeching eyes of a woman, married and forsaken, loved and lost, long ago. Was it strange that Herbert, who had so resented his treatment of Mara Rock, should bear all his fury, injustice, and abuse of himself and others with such compassionate forbearance? But he not only forbore to resent his own affronts, but also besought Capitola to have patience with the old man's temper, and apologized to the host, by saying that Major Warfield had been very severely tried that day, and when calmer would be the first to regret the violence of his own words. Mara Rock returned with Clara to the old doctor's house. She was more patient, silent, and quiet than before. Her face was a little paler, her eyes softer, and her tones lower. That was the only visible effect of the morning's unexpected encounter. The next day but one all the parties concerned assembled at the courthouse to hear the decision of the judge. It was given, as had been anticipated, in favor of Clara Day, who was permitted, in accordance with her father's approved wishes, to reside in her patrimonial home under the care of Mrs. Rock. Colonel Lenore was to remain trustee of the property, with directions from the court immediately to pay the legacies left by the late Dr. Day to Mara Rock and Traverse Rock, 
and also to pay to Clara Day, in quarterly installments, from the revenue of her property, an annual sum of money sufficient for her support. This decision filled the hearts of Clara and her friends with joy. Forgetting time and place, she threw herself into the arms of Mara Rock and wept with delight. All concerned in the trial then sought their lodgings. Clara and Mrs. Rock returned to the cottage to make preparations for removing to Willow Heights. Dr. Williams went to the agent of the property to require him to give up the keys, which he did without hesitation. Old Hurricane and his party packed up to be ready for the stage to take them to Tip Top the next day. But that night a series of mysterious events were said to have taken place at the deserted house at Willow Heights that filled the whole community with superstitious wonder. It was reported by numbers of gardeners and farmers who passed that road, on their way to the early market, that a perfect witch's Sabbath had been held in that empty house all night, that lights had appeared, flitting from room to room, that strange weird faces had looked out from the windows, and wild screams had pierced the air. The next day when this report reached the ears of Clara, and she was asked by Dr. Williams whether she would not be afraid to live there, she laughed gaily and bade him try her. Cap, who had come over to take leave of Clara, joined her in her merriment, declared that she, for her part, doted on ghosts, and that after Herbert Grayson's departure she should come and visit Clara and help her to entertain the specters. Clara replied that she should hold her to her promise, and so the friends kissed and separated. That same day saw several removals. Clara and Mrs. Rock took up their abode at Willow Heights, and seized an hour even of that busy time to write to Travers and apprise him of their good fortune. Old Hurricane and his party set out for their home, where they arrived before nightfall. And the next day but one, Herbert Grayson took leave of his friends, and departed to join his company on their road to glory. End of chapter 42